Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Art has many forms. The painter, the writer, the singer, the poet, to name just a few. All of them take their experiences, their view of the world around them, and use it to create. Create something beautiful, shocking, or enriching. The artist's inspiration might come from the world at its most mundane, or perhaps at its most extraordinary. Whatever the stimulus, artists use their talents to try to leave behind a legacy, so they are remembered. And long after death, in whatever form, they live on. And when it came to artistry, no one was more ahead in their field, none more likely to leave a legacy, than Marianne Dubois. She had been hailed as a genius by many, and was well known internationally for work which was in the truest sense beautiful, shocking and enriching. And the form which her art took was food. Marianne Dubois was a world-famous chef. She was very rich and very single, with shoulder-length blonde hair, a button nose, a prominent scar on her right cheek, the result of aggressive acne in her youth. Her appearance was picked over in gossip magazines as they offered up pronouncements on her eligibility. But Marianne couldn't have cared less. Her only interest was in food. The proud owner of a dozen Michelin stars, Marianne had restaurants all over the world, occupying prime sites in some of the poshest hotels and richest districts. Known for her eccentric flair, she served what reviewers called edgy food, while her chef rivals alliteratively denounced her dishes as disgusting and downright dangerous. For instance, partially fermented pork, which in plain terms was rotten, served in a sauce thickened with casu marza, a cheese deliberately infested with maggots, illegal in Europe, but available on the black market if you know where to look. Or octopus, served uncooked and still alive. Or bat, that notorious carrier of deadly disease, poached whole in boiling milk. Marianne sidestepped food safety regulations by placing these delicacies on the menu only in her further flung establishments. Her several European restaurants were altogether a tamer affair. But... For a very privileged few who were in the know, Marianne had a special secret venue, hidden in the vast Massif des Morts in the southern region of Provence. Le Coq Méchant, translating as the Naughty Cock, was Marianne's pride, her chef d'oeuvre. Open for just one month a year, Le Coq Méchant was nothing more than a well-kitted peasant's cottage, containing a large kitchen separated from a rustic dining room by a dark, heavy curtain. It was here, hidden from the world, that Marianne worked on her menus, tinkering, experimenting, adding a dash of this to a pinch of that. For Marianne, Le Coq was ideally located, hidden in a hillside forest somewhere in the expanse of Provencal wilderness, miles from anywhere, and, crucially, 
sitting atop a small network of caves. Twenty paces from the back door of the cottage, an old millstone leant against a large boulder, partially obscured by foliage. It was approaching morning when Marianne arrived, and somewhere nearby two birds sang, their voices harsh and shrill. Unceremoniously, Marianne pushed a heavy, rusting iron rod through the middle of the millstone and levered it upright. Then, with much grunting, rolled it aside. The disturbance halted the bird song, and they fluttered away. Once inside, Marianne journeyed the gentle slope of the long natural corridor which led to the heart of the hill, lighting the way with a simple paraffin lamp. Forty yards in, the corridor came to a dead end. Marianne put down the lamp and raised a trapdoor by her feet. A long ladder made of iron hoops hammered into the rock reached down at least thirty feet, and she began to descend with elegant rigour. At the bottom, she arrived at the larder, which she had personally designed, well lit with the shadowy orange glow of several more paraffin lamps affixed to the wall. This central space was the main store, the hub from which five dark spokes grew out. From these the sound of scurryings and bleatings and even the lowing of calves hummed through the echoey chambers. Marianne called out. Pierre? Pierre? Are you talking to the cows again, Dr. Doolittle? The sound of metal against stone rang out, and a small man appeared from the dark of one of the corridors, his pale, bearded face zombie-like in the shadowy light. We. Oui. His voice was rich. It had a control and a precision which contrasted his broken appearance. He avoided Marianne's gaze. I have guests tomorrow. Tell me, how are the Autolans? Caged. Yes, but are they fat? And blind. Are they fat, Pierre? Are they fat? And silent. Tell me if they are fat. Silent for weeks. Pierre, if you do not answer my question, you will very soon regret it. Are they fat? Finally, Pierre looked into Marianne's eyes. We. Oui. Good. Parfait. Everything must be parfait. I'll need five. Marianne turned to some shelves. Pierre remained still. Five Pierre, in their cages, now. Marianne took an empty clay jar and a dusty bottle of Armagnac. She pulled the stopper and breathed in the bouquet, closing her eyes as she inhaled. La la, my little ones, this will be a treat. Delicately, she decanted the brandy into the jar. Pierre, the birds please, now. There was an edge to her voice. I won't ask again. As reluctant as Pierre was, he knew the consequence of disobeying. He turned and disappeared into the darkness. As he went, the chains around his ankles scraped along the floor. He entered a small space which he regarded as his bedroom, although there was little comfort to be had in it. To one side, a camp bed was piled high with dirty blankets. Beside it, a stack of tiny cages, each home to a single, small, brown bird. These were the Autolans. Each one had been blinded with skewers. Marianne had done the honours. Whatever the threat, Pierre could not bring himself to do this wicked deed. And, sitting quietly in the dark, with hardly space to turn around, they had been amenable to eating the constant supply of grain, and were now twice their natural size. Given the darkness of their new home, the blinding seemed superfluous and an unnecessary cruelty, 
but Marianne was a stickler for tradition. Pierre stacked five of the little cages. Well done, Pierre. They are beautiful. On the table. Pierre put them down as gently as he could, hoping they would sense some small moment of decency before the ordeal ahead of them. You would like to do the honours, Pierre? No, we cannot have your dirty hands touching them. Come here, my beautiful, beautiful birds. One by one, Marianne prized the birds from their cages, cradling them gently in her hands, kissing them, then plunging them into the armagnac, holding the lid down after each one until it had stopped thrashing. Oh, their little lungs fill with brandy. Oh, it is heaven, Pierre. Heaven. And so, Pierre, the preparation for the feast. Marianne pulled jars and cheeses and dried meats from the shelves. There will be four diners, two of the world's greatest critiques, the chief of police, and, I cannot quite believe, I almost dare not to say in case he does not come, the president of France will be here, Pierre. I hope you're in good singing voice. Pierre remained silent. Let me hear it. Now, Pierre. Pierre. Still, Pierre did not respond. Marianne slapped him hard. He bowed and cowered. She slapped him again. Need I describe for you what will happen to your daughter, Pierre? I will blind her and cage her just like my autolans. I know for you do not care, but your only daughter, Pierre. In my care, Pierre. In the care of the world, famous chef, who was provided from the goodness of her heart for the little orphan of the man who was lost out hunting in the mountains. And she sings beautifully. But not as beautifully as you. This is dark. Sing. Too dark to sing. Sing. Pierre sucked hard, retching like a cat coughing up a furball. Then a sound began quietly to fill the cave. At first it was not clear where the sound was coming from. To anyone not acquainted with his remarkable gift, it could have sounded like it was coming from the walls themselves. Unmistakably, it was the song of the Ortolan. But Pierre wasn't whistling it, he was singing it. It grew to a crescendo, then faded away. Pierre breathed heavily. Beautiful. You will sing for them tomorrow. You will sing, my little Ortolan. Somewhere in the forest, the four diners stood by a fallen tree trunk, hidden from view of a small dirt track. Each one was wearing smart black tie and a black hood over their heads, making them look more like hostages than guests. A four by four approached them, then stopped. A voice called out from the road. It was Pierre. Are you wearing your blindfolds, please, gentlemen? We? We? Oui. Oui, monsieur. Yes. I am sorry, but Madame Dubois takes the secrecy of Le Coq Manchon very seriously. To keep the menu as exclusive as it is, no one must know this place, you understand. Please, this way. Monsieur? The first critic, Clementine, shouted over the sound of the engine as they bounced along the track. Oui? The menu. Oui? There is a Romany Conti of 75. Oui. We will be drinking. Of course. The second critic, Luke, then spoke. And uh, <coughs> the uh, Ortolan? Oui, the Ortolan. Bien sûr. <laughs> Monsieur le President, you should make it legal again. <laughs> Why such a miracle is illegal, I cannot think. <laughs> it is not civilized. The President retorted jovially. 
If we legalize it, it will not be special anymore. We must not cast our pearls before the swine. Monsieur, there is a mystery course on Mariam's menu. Oui. I am dying to know. It is a surprise, Monsieur le Président. You don't mean to say you are keeping secrets from your president? Trust me, Your Eminence. The wait will be worth it. The Chief of Police licked his lips and said nothing. For 30 minutes, the esteemed guests bounced over rough ground. Like the Autolans in their cages, disorientated and blind. Eventually, the car began to slow, then came to a stop. Et voilà, le coq-mouchon. If you would be so good as to keep on your hoods and walk with me. Hand in hand, the men were led into the cottage and seated at the rough, uneven dining table. The air was thick with a heady, near-overwhelming smell. Oh, messieurs. Clementine enthused. If heaven has a smell, then this is it. I am light-headed. You may remove your hoods. The men squinted as their eyes adjusted to the light, and they took in their new surroundings. Le Coq Méchant, with its provincial decor, wasn't much to look at. But then how things looked never really mattered to Marianne. She always found the other senses much more interesting. Where is Marianne? I would like to see our wonderful host. She sends her regards and was sorry not to be able to greet you all personally. Um, She is in the kitchen at the moment. Monsieur le Président, uh, she will join you later this evening. I understand. I don't want to disrupt her, particularly when she is working so hard to prepare a magnificent dinner for our bellies. The four sat, breathing deeply, satisfied exhalations after each new breath. That smell, said Luke. It never gets old. What is it? Wait and see. But first, you must have something to drink. Forty-five minutes later, and the four guests were on their way to drunk. Vintage sherry was followed by wine, as was evident from the stains on every shirt. The lubricated four laughed and sweated and talked excitedly about the feast to come. From the kitchen, Pierre's voice, muffled by the heavy curtain, said, Gentlemen, it is time for your autolans. You know the tradition. If you would be so kind as to bow your heads and cover them completely with the serviette provided, it is time. A sudden respectful silence filled the room. One by one they bowed and draped the large cloth napkins over their heads so that they hung down, obscuring from their vision anything but their place setting. Pierre pushed the curtain aside and shuffled into the room. His shackles were only ever removed when serving, but the freedom made no difference to his now habitually curtailed gait. He laid a plate somberly in front of each guest. The serviette hides our shame from God. He must not see this thing we do, but remember this in your next confession, just in case he sees. Begin. Pierre bowed and left the dining room. There was a moment's reverential pause, then a crunch, then another, then another. Bones were broken. The guests stayed quiet as fat and bone collided with meat, skin, internal organs popped. Rivulets of ancient flavours ran down the insides of throats and the outsides of chins. Armagnac, fig, game, the salty iron of blood lanced by bones from cheeks and gums, combined. Mouths full, little bird heads hanging out of closed lips, the guests breathed noisily through their noses, coughed, swallowed, snorted, crunched, swallowed. 
Then, finally, heads were pulled in by deft tongues. Then there were more crunches as the tiny skulls were crushed. Then very soon the room was yet again silent. For the four, it was over too quickly, and each of them longed to eat it all over again. Clementine breathed deeply, shaking her head in disbelief. She shouted at the thick curtain in the hope that her host would hear her. Madame, that was perfection. Too much, oh, it was too much. We still have not seen you, madame. Please come in so we may pay our respects. If you do not, we will come to you. Pierre poked his head around the curtain and hobbled into the room, clutching a paper in his hand. Madame Dubois sends her apologies again. She is at a critical moment in the preparation of the next course. Uh, She has written you a note. Pierre handed the paper to the chief of police, who read aloud to the other three. Hmm. Um, to my esteemed guests and valued friends, please forgive me this indulgence. You will see me in time. This will be the pinnacle of everything I've ever done. My masterpiece. Here we will take a pause. In the cupboard, you will find the finest wines, cheeses and meats. We must wait till everything is just right. It could be hours, all afternoon if need be. Time is something we have. But I swear to you on my life, on the life of Marianne Dubois, it will be worth it. Bon appétit, Marianne. (laughs) The guests looked around at each other. Gleefully, they beamed like excited children on Christmas morning. Pierre bowed and scurried outside, allowing a breeze of cold, refreshing air to waft through the room. Clementine stood and made her way to a heavy-looking bureau. She opened it up and immediately needed to catch her breath. Gentlemen, this surpasses all my expectation. The bottle's here. Mm. She held up an ancient-looking bottle. I thought this did not exist anywhere in the world. Who is paying the bill, Madame Dubois? She looked over at the kitchen. Madame Dubois, this bottle... She pulled back the curtain to find the kitchen completely empty, but for its pungent aroma. She shrugged and picked up a corkscrew. For the next two hours, the guests worked their way through bottle after bottle of the rarest wines. They avoided the cheese and cured meats, keeping their palates free to savour every note of the remarkable selection. But for all the rarity of the wine, their minds were never far from the Autolands. That really was something. If I die now, I die happy, said Clementine. Yes, it is a shame we cannot write about it. Luke agreed. The woman is a a genius. Oh, she is the best, the greatest of her generation, perhaps even of the century. She's an artist. You can taste a bit of her in every dish. She would give her life for her art. Their eulogy was interrupted from the kitchen. My guests, it is time. Please take your seats. Madame Dubois? Is on her way, Your Eminence. These wines. Please, everybody, the serviettes again. More Ottolan? No, only ever one. But this just may be even better. Uh, but the serviettes? Oui, Marianne kindly insists. For this course, she says it is even more important that we hide our sins from God. Please. The guests took their seats, bowed their heads, 
and once again draped themselves with their napkins. The curtain to the kitchen was pulled back, and a heavy trolley wheeled in. The smell of hot armagnac overpowered the room. Catching in the guests' throats, they coughed, turned their heads away. Quickly, Pierre collected glasses, plates and cutlery, clearing the table to make room for the centrepiece. If you would please close your eyes and wait for my instruction. With much effort, Pierre slid a long plank from the trolley directly onto the table, pushing it till it ran fully from head to foot. He stepped back. Okay, everybody. You may open your eyes. Beneath her serviette, Clementine had a leg, roasted to perfection. Luke, an arm. The chief of police had a clavicle, partly obscured by a curtain of shoulder-length blonde hair. Beneath the president's serviette, staring up at him just inches from his own, was a face, with eyes that had plainly been skewered, perhaps while their owner was still alive. The skin was roasted and cracked. A small button-shaped nose shriveled, a split on the cheek where an old scar had opened in the oven. The president removed his serviette, repulsed at the meal laid out before them. Uh, everybody, I, I think you should remove. He trailed away as the other three followed his lead. The police chief swallowed hard, fighting an urge to vomit. For a full five minutes, they sat in silence. Clementine stood up as if awoken from a dream and took from the cupboard the strongest spirit she could find and poured four fortifying shots. She handed them round. To Marianne. To, to Marianne. They echoed quietly, then downed their drinks. The president then spoke. This is her crowning glory. Her legacy will live on forever. He picked up a large carving knife. I will serve. More wine, Monsieur le Président. Yes. Thank you, Pierre. The president picked up his fork and tasted a sample of Marianne's cheek. As it reacted with his taste buds, he slumped back into his chair. Ecstasy. The salty meat melted like butter in his mouth. It was, he resolved, the most delicious food he had ever eaten. Pierre, who almost always remained pensive, allowed himself an uncharacteristic little smile. This was the last course he would ever serve at Le Coq Michon, and he was very pleased with its reception. For all her cruelty, Pierre had, at the very least, learnt from Marianne how to cook a joint of meat to perfection. He hoped the guests hadn't noticed the abrasion on her neck, which showed she had been strangled, or indeed the scratches up his arm he had sustained while doing it. But he supposed it didn't really matter anymore. The guests seemed delighted with Marianne Dubois' final course, and soon the chief of police himself would have, with greedy aplomb, gobbled up any evidence of Pierre's crime. Very soon, he would be free. The diners stood for another toast. To Marianne! Outside in the forest, the blind Autolans sang. No longer in their cages, they scrabbled their way through the darkness of an undiscovered land. The Autoland Sings was written by Christopher Jameson. It was voiced by Owen Jenkins, Arthur McBain, Alexine Lefebvre, and Christopher Jameson. 
All right, there we go. So yeah. thanks so much to Chris for that brilliant one. Um, and what is next, Arthur? Uh, we've got an episode called Blood Mitzvah. Ooh. Yeah. Right. We, uh, that's, um, it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> really selling it. It is, uh, it's a vampire's coming of age. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's set in Romania. Amazing. It's a great excuse for accents. <laughs> I'll see you next month. <laughs> Cheers.